So Money, episode 692. Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Aaron Lowry, author of Broke Millennial. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Friday, February 16th. I hope you had a good Valentine's Day week, day slash week. I don't know. We... We're not really big Valentine's Day people in our household, mainly because my birthday's on the 15th. So that takes precedence. And it was a, it was a nice special birthday as well. And also this week I headed to DC to visit uh, my girlfriend, my BFF Kate. Hadn't seen her in a while. So I cleared my schedule for two days and went down there and visited her and her beautiful family. And it's just been a really good personal week, tending to some personal matters. But now time to shift gears and talk about what's on your money mind. And for this episode, I'm really excited. I'm bringing back a So Money friend and a personal friend, Erin Lowry, author of the bestseller, Broke Millennial, and also a spokesperson and partner with Turbo, which is a great new app. We want to talk about that a little bit on this episode. But first, Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me and happy birthday. I have to say your birthday being on the 15th is perfect because Peach, my fiance and I do not celebrate Valentine's Day on the 14th. We, through a random series of events when we started dating in college, ended up celebrating on the 15th. So that became tradition. And it's such great fire sale on all of the Valentine's Day stuff that it's so cheap that we can get all the candy for like Oh my God, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Whatever's left, of course. Slim pickings. Yes. But discounted roses, discounted. My favorite candy falls this time of year. You know, it's those um those spicy cinnamon hearts, those candy yeah. hearts and the I don't really care for like the 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 Neko candy hearts so much, like the chalky candy hearts, but uh, I love I love reading those messages. They're getting really with the times. It's true. They and used to say they used to say like um, I'll fax ya. Yeah, be mine. Be mine. Um, now they're like, see you on Snapchat. Well, and if you get, um, you know, assuming they're not super tied to pop culture, if you buy those Valentine Day cards that you get in those big, like 30 in a box things for next season, just get the ones that have puppies or kittens or whatever, because they're evergreen. Now, if you get like the Jonas Brothers, that might not be relevant <laughs> in the following year, or Justin Bieber. Nothing so against the Jonas those. Brothers, <laughs> nothing against the Jonas Brothers, but yeah, good tip. See, I knew having you on, you know, it's like you can't even help yourself, Aaron. Like you're telling us how to save money on Valentine's Day. That's one of my favorites though, shopping fire sales. I think I got that from my mom as a little kid because always on Boxing Day, she would want to go to the store to get all of the wrapping paper for next Christmas. So that is just a habit that I have adopted from a very young age. Real quick, you're getting married this year and we're months ahead of the of the wedding date and you're like all done with planning, which is really impressive. But is there something that you did that was so money with your wedding planning? 
Yes. I hate to phrase it this way, but I shopped in the graveyards of all of my friends' weddings. And what I mean by that is I went to vendors that my friends had used and asked for, well, first I usually got referral deals when I did that. So you save some money that way. And then also it takes off the stress and the burden for you having to do all the research. For example, one of my best friends is a bit of an amateur photographer herself. So she had already done so much research finding a photographer for her wedding. And I was in her wedding. So I worked directly with this photographer and his wife. And so I didn't even do any research when it came to my own. I just immediately went to him, saw if he was free. He was booked him and got a referral bonus. I remember you were invited to like over half a dozen weddings one summer. Yeah, it was brutal. One year. So at least that paid off in some way. (laughs) Yep. That and then DJ did the same thing. One of my cousins hired a DJ that my fiance and I just loved. We danced the night away and what better resume than that. So we just immediately went to that guy and asked if he traveled. And it cost a little bit more to get him than we might have spent, you know, getting someone directly in the area where we're getting married. But honestly, it was maybe $300 more after the referral. And gosh, it saved me so much time and not having to research and vet people that totally worth it to me. Well, we wish you both a fabulous wedding. If there's any advice I can give is just take moments during the ceremony, the wedding, the party, everything, just to take like mental snapshots of everything because it goes really fast. And you'll have pictures, but it's also special to be able to reflect and have in your head, you know, those moments. Yeah, we definitely will. That's great advice. All right. Let's help out our listeners um, and uh as we do this, maybe we can also chat about Turbo, which uh, we're both um, partners with. In fact, you know, I, as listeners know, I've been working with Mint, so one of our favorite budgeting tools and apps for a couple of years now. And Mint is a, uh, a subsidiary of Intuit. They have QuickBooks and TurboTax and Mint and uh, now Turbo a new free app that offers things like your credit score, your debt-to-income ratio. Erin, tell us why you love Turbo. Well, one, it is simple. So you're getting all this information at the literal touch of a button, which I always love. It's right there on your phone. And so like you mentioned, it pulls in three of the big factors that lenders are going to pay attention to in deciding whether or not to give you a loan. So that is your IRS verified income, that's your credit score, and then your debt to income ratio, which honestly is kind of the redheaded stepchild of these numbers. I feel like we fanatically talk about credit scores and don't often talk about debt to income ratio, but I think we're going to get into that in a little bit. So I'm going to hold a lot of the goodies about that. And then what's other thing that's great about Turbo is it gives you personalized insights. So you know, if you need to know how to improve your credit score, lower your debt to income ratio, and you can also benchmark yourself against what other people are doing. And it's not any people, it's people who are in a similar stage of life. So perhaps you're feeling really down on yourself. You don't think you've got it all together, but you log in and you say like, you know what? For a 28-year-old living in New York City, I'm actually doing okay. So I really like that it benchmarks you against people in a similar lifestyle and not just anyone anywhere in the country because there are different metrics depending on where we are. Yeah, I like that too. It kind of allows you to see where you fall in your, in your, uh, I guess, uh, demographic and as far as, you know, what you're making and where you're living. Because yeah, it's, it's all relative and it's really easy to size yourself up or down based on how others are 
earning and spending and saving. So uh, you brought up debt to income. That's a ratio that's really important. And we have a question here from Chris who's wondering, how high is it, how high of a debt to income ratio is too high to be considered for a mortgage. Now, a little bit more about Chris. Um, he makes about $80,000 a year. He has some student loans and about $15,000 in credit card debt. He figures that his debt-to-income ratio is about 35%. Um, so from a lender's perspective, is he in the safe zone or is he just a little too risky? He's right there flirting with the line, to be honest. So a good rule of thumb is to keep your DTI, debt to income ratio, under 36%. So in that regard, Chris is doing okay. He's at 35, so he's under 36. But like I said, it is a bit on the high end. And because your DTI is a key factor in determining your interest rate and the size of a loan that you're going to get to a, from a lender you're going to want it to be as low as possible in order to get the best deal. Think of it as the inverse of your credit score. The higher, the better with your credit score. The higher your credit score, the better financial products you're going to unlock. DTI is similar, but inverse. So the lower your DTI, the better kind of loans you're going to get. Because a lender is looking at debt-to-income ratio to see and decide on your ability to actually be able to pay them back. And I mentioned earlier, I feel like it's an often neglected number. And a credit score is great. Credit scores are important, but a lot of times there can be this disconnect where we look at a credit score and we're like, how do I have a 760 but feel like I'm living paycheck to paycheck and barely keeping it afloat? And you could have a great credit score because you're paying all your bills on time, even though it doesn't feel like you have much. Debt to income gives you this very holistic approach and view and snapshot of your ability to actually pay back lenders. And it kind of will unearth why and if you're in that paycheck to paycheck cycle. So I'd say try to lower it if you can. Again, as we mentioned earlier, Turbo can be great for this. You can use tools like Mint.com, as you mentioned, and Turbo, because Turbo will tell you what your DTI is exactly and give you those tips and tricks to get it down. It's so important because if you are applying for a home loan or any other kind of sizable loan, your credit score, as we know, is vital in that decision process. But what we don't talk about often is the the DTI, the debt to income ratio. And better to know that before applying because you'll save yourself a lot of time and maybe even some embarrassment if you uh, don't know, you apply, you realize, oh, my debt to income ratio is like 50% and I'm getting now rejected for this loan or I have to go back to the drawing board, right? So you're going to save yourself time and hassle because you'll have that knowledge ahead of time thanks to um, Turbo. And just to let everyone know how DTI is calculated. We're talking about your total recurring monthly debt. That includes credit cards, you know, your student loans, divided by your gross gross monthly income. And it's expressed as a percentage. So it's not net income, it's gross income. So just wanted to mention that. And that it's monthly is important. I think a lot of people freak out because they think, you know, I have $100,000 in student loan debt and only make $60,000 a year. So it's totally off. I'm over, you know, my debt, to, my debt to income ratio. So like you mentioned, monthly is an important factor in that as well. Okay. Linda has a question about retirement and you're actually writing a book about investing. Your next book is about investing. So why don't you tell us what's on Linda's money mind and we'll tackle this one together. So Linda says she has a new job offer that is a 3% match for her 401k. So she's wondering what her best options are for her current 401k, which has 
150,000 plus. Good job, Linda. So she's asking, do I roll this over into a new plan? So I'm assuming she means rolling her old 401k into her new 401k, or does she move that over into an IRA? Well, I love that her new 401k offers this 3% match. That's definitely something that she should take advantage of once she becomes eligible at this new company, at least do enough to earn that 3% match. The decision about whether to roll over that 401k from the previous employer into the new 401k or an IRA is going to come down to a few things. I mean, one thing that you want to take a look at, Linda, is what are the potential fees and what are your options within the new 401k? Um, do you like your options? Are the fees not too high? That could benefit you if, if, if it works out because then it's all under one roof. That's an important thing for some people. They want to streamline their investments. Rolling it over to an IRA is also a valid choice. It's also a valid option. Um, you know, with IRAs, Typically, you have a vast number of options, many more options of investment categories and asset classes than like a 401k. The fees might be less because then you can also be more exact about where you're putting your money. So if you just want to do index funds, you probably can do that within an IRA. And with a, an, a Roth IRA, as we know, the tax benefits are different than a traditional 401k. So if you also are concerned about your tax exposure in retirement and you want to maybe diversify that tax exposure, some people like having a 401k and a Roth IRA if they qualify. What do you think? I've done that myself, actually. I do have a Roth IRA and had a traditional 401k when I was traditionally employed. And all great points. I think the biggest thing is those investment options that you mentioned, looking to see what your new employer offers and if perhaps you can get a better deal by rolling that over into your own IRA. But the other thing to consider too, and I've seen this argument by a couple different people, and that's how simple do you want to keep your financial life? It is just easier if you dump it all into your new 401k and have everything in one spot. This, of course, I'm making the assumption that you don't already have a separate IRA. I personally have rolled into IRAs as opposed to rolling into my new 401k, but I don't mind the slight extra layer, slight extra layer of complication, although it's not really even that complicated. But some people like to have as simple as possible. So just another thing to keep in mind. Right. I mean, if, if having everything under one account will mean that you will more likely invest then do that. Because then if you have two different accounts, then that's two decisions you have to make every month or two automations. And um, if it's more likely that you, you know, you'll make the commitment with one account because it's just easier, even if it's a little bit more expensive, in the long run, it might be the best move. All right. Next question comes from Laella. Laella. She's 36 with $22,000 in debt. $107,000 saved in a retirement account, $5,000 saved in an emergency fund, and she has two homes, one of which is a rental. Should she use a self-directed IRA to buy another rental property? Oh, she loves that real estate. I mean, I love real estate as an asset class if you are up for the ups and downs and you're okay with being a landlord and all the uh, responsibilities that come with that if you want to maybe have a, a rental property. I think really this just comes down to a liquidity question, right? Like how much money does she have at her disposal to be able to afford this comfortably? And then uh, the other question is, she doesn't really ask for an answer to this question, but other question that I would have, Erin, is what's the ROI of this rental property, right? Like what's the, is she going to make money? 
I agree. I think it's also just a great look at risk tolerance. Personally, I saw this and had a gut reaction like, no, but I'm not into the real estate game. That is something that just makes me feel stressed because one, you know, we both live in New York City. The idea of investing here feels very overwhelming, but it's more about, like you mentioned, the landlord issue, the headache of dealing with that. Now she's already doing it, or maybe she has a great team in place to handle it for her. But my other thought too, just looking at this was $5,000 in an emergency fund to me feels very low for this, Mm -hmm. for her situation, just because she owns a home and already has one rental property. Now, unless she does have separate emergency emergency funds for each of those rental properties, I guess that's a bit different. But 5K, what if everything goes wrong all at once? You lose your drop job, you know, water heater tank busts in your personal house and a ceiling caves in in the rental property. Everything goes upside down all at once. Murphy's Law, it happens. So to me, it's beef up that emergency fund first. And also, what is the debt, that $22,000 of debt? Is that student loans? Is that credit cards? Does she barely have mortgages left on her first two properties? That was my other big question in this scenario, too. Yeah. And, and you know, she does ask about maybe purchasing this through um, money in a self-directed IRA. And a self-directed IRA is the kind, there are many kinds of IRAs. We normally talk about traditional and Roth and the difference there mainly is their tax benefits. The traditional, you get the tax benefit today. And with Roth, you get the tax advantage in, uh, in retirement. A self-directed IRA is essentially, I think how I would describe it is it's an IRA where you can use you can invest in a number of things, even outside of traditional investments like stocks, bonds, mutual funds. You can invest in real estate. You can invest in, my gosh, like horses, art, um, films. It's a, it's anything goes really. And, um, it's for, it's a, I would say at that level of investing, you should have all of your other bases covered. You probably shouldn't have debt. So to your point, Erin, I think maybe Layla to really do this with the money in this self-directed IRA to purchase real estate, um, you want to make sure that you, you know, you've got a good, clean bill of financial health, that you've addressed the debt before taking on this relatively riskier investment. Do you agree? I do. I don't think that there's anything wrong with building a real estate portfolio, you know, especially if she's got a great team in place and that's something that she wants to do to build wealth. But it is about having yourself covered and your base level. I, I understand the lure of, oh, this great property came on the market and this is a great time just in terms of like the mortgage I can get in the interest rate or whatever it is. But you know, it goes back to that old cliche of put on your own oxygen mask first before helping others. Same in this situation. Make sure you are safe before you're investing in real estate. And last but not least, Eric wants to know about some good ways to pay off his mortgage faster. He says he bought a program in the past that uses the second mortgage to pay off the first, making extra principal only payments, etc. But they're confusing a little bit as to how they work. And so he he said, it would be nice to use my home as a bank if I ever needed that equity. So it sounds like he wants to help pay off that mortgage faster so that he can build equity and tap it if he has to for, you know, the many things that life brings us. Um, Look, Anyone who comes to me and says that they purchased a program, they bought into a program to help them pay down their mortgage faster, I'm like, what? You know, all that service is providing is an automation, you know, which you can do. 
I get letters in the mail too from uh, banks, pay us hundreds of dollars and we'll set up a a way for you to pay off your mortgage faster. And basically what they're telling me they're going to do is automate one additional payment or however many additional payments a year to my principal only. But guess what? I can do that on my own. I can schedule that. I can every month pay an additional amount towards the principal, which we do. And so there's a way to DIY this and not have to pay a service. And so Eric, I mean, really, if you want to pay off that mortgage faster, you're, you're kind of already doing it and to some extent with this program is making those extra principal only payments so that you're knocking down that balance sooner than later. The interest um, is not involved because uh, that would mean you're paying less principal and the balance wouldn't go down as quickly. The automatic millionaire, which David Bach wrote, is largely based on this, that you make one extra principal payment a year or even just one extra mortgage payment. And if that includes interest, so be it. But it does pay off. Um, It can shave a decade off of your mortgage. If you have a 30-year mortgage, maybe more if you do more payments a year. Also, let's address using your home as a bank. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't love that idea. I understand the principle and that it's kind of your backup, backup, backup plan, but I would have that emergency fund in place and all sorts of other options that are in place before you have to tap into your home. And the other thing about this question is the statement of this program is confusing as to how it works. And I agree with you, Varnoosh, that you can do this yourself. But the other thing I would say to Eric is then if it's confusing, you need to take the time to either physically go into the bank branch or call someone and have them walk you through exactly what it is and have them break it down until you understand it. Because you should never be enrolled in a program that you can't understand and that you can't explain to someone else. Thank you for bringing that up. And I I also think that if you learn throughout the process that this is something that you could just do on your own and save money, then then think about doing that because I don't think it's necessary to pay for a service that doesn't require another party helping you out. I mean, anyone can pay more towards their mortgage. Usually, I mean, most mortgages don't have uh, a penalty for paying more than the monthly uh, minimum, but make sure you check that out. Erin, thank you so much. Tell us how we can tap into Turbo. We didn't even mention the website yet. Sure. You can go to myturbo.com to learn all about it, or you can just go to the Apple App Store and download it right there under Turbo. It will be coming soon to Android and be available in Google Play, but right now it's available in the App Store, or you just go to myturbo.com to learn more. And you do not have to be an Intuit customer, so you don't have to have used TurboTax before or used Mint before in order to get access. And like Varnoosh mentioned at the beginning, it is free. And because we're wrapping up Valentine's week, uh, this could be fun for couples. Fun. I mean, I'm a nerd and you're a nerd. (laughs) We would totally do this. But, you know, I have found surprisingly that many couples don't know the basics about their financial, respective financial lives. They don't know how much each person makes. They don't know their credit scores. They don't know each other's debt to income ratio. Like people don't even know their own debt to income ratio. Why would they necessarily know their fiancés or their husbands? So do this. Download the app as a couple. Have a date night around your money and use this app as a way to spark conversation and knowledge. I think that could be a great way to, you know, if you if you set some resolutions in January and you've been falling off the bandwagon, this is a great way to get you back on. 
Yes, I love that. And I do a monthly money meeting with my fiance. I nerdily love it. I don't think he's quite as big of a fan as I am, but he indulges me. And I agree. We both used Turbo and kind of compared. And it it's a fun, competitive, but in friendly spirit competition as well to see who can be doing better. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much, Erin. And we'll be looking for your next book. The first one is called Broke Millennial. Your next one's all about investing. We'll be sure to have you back on to share more about that when you're ready. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You too. 